in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Las Vegas Aces were blown out for the second straight game, 87 to 60. They lost game three to the Phoenix Mercury. Asia Wilson was just two of 14, scored eight points. And we're now looking at the WNBA semifinals. Both the five and the six seeds have taken a 2-1 series lead over the one and two seeds. Uh, This game to me was extremely different from game two. Game two, the Phoenix Mercury just could not miss specifically Diana Taurasi, uh, but the Aces offense was fine. They scored over 90 points. They were good on offense. Uh, this one, I think, is a much bigger deal because the Aces scored 60 points. Their offense was atrocious. They could not get to the rim, couldn't do it. And even if they did, they were blocked or altered their shots anyways. Like they could not score in this game. And now they're one game away from being eliminated in the semifinals and falling short yet again in the WNBA playoffs. In watching game one, Tyler, what jumped out at me the most was the quality of the defensive rotations and the fact that no matter what Phoenix wanted to do, uh, Vegas seemed to have a defender in the right place for it. But we've talked about plenty how this team doesn't shoot threes and doesn't have a way to create offense quickly. And so if the defense isn't there and they get behind offensively, then you've got the problems that we're seeing. Yeah, and the, the worst part about the loss in game three was Phoenix didn't even shoot it well from three. Phoenix beat the Aces at what the Aces wanted. Like, the Aces want to beat you up inside. They want to dominate rebounds. They want to dominate shots at the rim. They want to dominate free throws. And Phoenix beat them at those three categories in game three. Game two was Phoenix hit a bunch of threes. Diana Taurasi was unbelievable. That sort of basketball anomaly. It happens over the course of the series. You should be fine. Game three was a massive concern for how that one actually played out because they, they've gotten beaten the playoff series in the past because of the three-point disparity, because Brianna Stewart can stretch the defense and knock down a bunch of threes or something like that. That didn't happen in game three. They got beat at their own game by the Phoenix Mercury, and they got to win two in a row. And I, I think they're better than Phoenix, but we have not seen that two back-to-back games. So they got to do it twice in a row or else their season's over, and it's another year of extreme disappointment for a title contender. Man, you know, that's a great question. The Giants beat the Saints in overtime. First win of the season for the Giants. Uh, Adam, as a Giants fan, are you cheering for them to lose yet? What do you mean yet? (laughs) (laughs) This team went into the week 0-3. They were down 21-11 with nine minutes left, and Joe Judge punted from the positive side of the field. (laughs) Joe Judge didn't want to win the game. I don't want them to win the game. And yet here we are with Sean Payton, Jameis Winston, and most importantly, Taysom freaking Hill pissing one away. Stop it, Saints. <laughs> By the way, the only good thing that came out of this was the fact that the Jets also won. So the Giants didn't fall behind in the race for the number one pick. Is Daniel Jones been good this year? Been fine. 
I mean, look, he, for whatever reason, has the cheat code to the Washington football team defense. So that has always been part of the Daniel Jones experience. <laughs> um, and look, the Saints also made Sam Darnold look like a king. So I'm not sure that uh, I'm ready to crown Daniel Jones just yet. The problem is Daniel Jones is going to end up playing just well enough that the Giants are going to have another top five pick and somehow not draft a quarterback. So, okay, what, like, if you gave me a word to describe, like, your mental state when you watch the Giants, like, what is it? Because it doesn't sound healthy. Oh, well, I have a clear rooting interest, right? I have a clear rooting interest, which is for this team to lose enough to make sure that Joe Judge goes off into the great beyond where wind sprints are the currency of love <laughs> and Dave Gettleman is retired to whatever hog farm he came from. That's all I need. And then I can go back to being a Giants fan. Great question. Next Thank question. you. UNLV will name a new permanent athletic director in early 2022, according to a story by Ed Graney. Eric Harper is the current interim. So when Desiree Reed Francois got hired during her introductory press conference, Lynn Jessup, who was the president at the time, he, he stated during that, before she even got up to the mic to give a, any sort of speech or take questions from the media, Len Jessup said, like, the goal was to get UNLV into a power conference. Obviously, Desiree Francois and Len Jessup, neither one are here anymore. But I am curious, when UNLV finally makes this new athletic director hire, that's going to be the thing that the fan base wants to see here. I don't know how realistic it is. So, like, what should be the top priority of whoever the new athletic director is at UNLV? It needs to be turning UNLV into Colorado State. Why Colorado State? Because when this round of realignment hit, the AAC, which is really just about the next best thing when we're talking about the Mountain West, came looking for Colorado State and Air Force. They didn't come looking for UNLV. They came looking for Air Force, a team that cannot and will not compete in basketball uh, because they're a consistently decent football program. They came in after Colorado State because they can be competitive in both when they're not hiring Boston College retreads to take <laughs> over their football team. So UNLV isn't even in that group right now. And the only schools that were talking about a potential power invite were San Diego State and Boise State, once again, who, according to the reporting that we've read, didn't go in that AAC round and even have discussion because they're waiting to see if the Big 12 or the Pac-12 wants to come calling. So... UNLV is not anywhere in that discussion of four teams. So if you're not even in the discussion yet to go to a better group of five program, don't you think that the goal for the AD should be at least getting UNLV into that level of discussion? Yeah, and I that's where UNLV has to get first, and you got to get there in the football program. Like, that's my thought, is the football program has to be competent. You cannot be one of the worst Division One football programs and expect – an invite to a power conference. And honestly, just it, forget about the power conference side of this, just the general health of the athletic department. Football's got to be decent at some point. Like that would be extremely helpful to this athletic department. If the football team could, you know, go to a bowl game more than once every decade or something like that. So that to me was, is my thoughts on, Hey, what's the objective? What's the primary goal of whoever the new idea is? It's to have a competent football program. And there's a practice facility in place. They're playing in a new stadium. Whether or not that's going to be good for them or not, we'll see. But there's not much else to do besides get the right coach in there. So that, to me, is where you're looking when you're new, when you're the new athletic director at UNLV. That's the goal. Do you have the right coach in place at UNLV? 
Okay, but let's let's start right there. And if you're going to talk about who comes next at UNLV, you have to talk about the handcuffs that are going to be put on that person. Marcus Arroyo's contract is prohibitive. Unless you can find someone who cares about UNLV football a lot more than any donor we've seen thus far, who's paying to get out of Marcus Arroyo's contract? Well, the good thing about his contract is uh, UNLV doesn't have to pay it as soon as he finds another job. So if they fire him, Marcus Arroyo's young. I assume he's going to take another job. They're, they're immediately off the hook of his contract as soon as he takes another job. Fair enough. Uh, at the point where Marcus Arroyo decides, you know what? That was a grind. I need a year. Yeah, and he and he could. He absolutely could. And that that would put UNLV in a very bad position if they're banking on him getting another job. But I do think they'd be safe banking on him getting another job. That being the case, then I think the new UNLV athletic director comes in in a very strange spot because it's rare that the AD coming in, as Ed has reported, in early 2022, it's rare that the person is going to walk in the door and start breaking China immediately, <laughs> right? And so you could be looking at having to go through another year yeah. of Marcus Royal in order to, to get there with a team that hasn't won in how many days, Tyler? Uh, 673, I believe the number is today. I'll, I'll double check that to make sure we have that right later in the show. Find out in Bischoff's briefs how many days it's been. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Alabama beat Ole Miss 42 to 21. Uh, I feel bad for Lane Kiffin, but I went to Ole Miss. Do you feel that Lane Kiffin got put in his place uh, after talking all week and after doing a bat flip with the mic during his pregame interview? That, by the way, was awesome. Um, <laughs> what's left for any coach going against Alabama but to try this sort of thing, right? Like, we'll still talk about Ed Orgeron as a legend for the Roll Tide quote that I cannot say on the radio, right? Like, what's to lose by calling out Alabama and trying to take a shot at him? When you lose, everybody's going to look at you and say, yeah, you were supposed to lose. But if you do what Lane Kiffin did and you win, you're a legend. All right, I'm on board. I mean, I'm on board Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I'm I'm glad he's here. I hope it's going to be great for a while. But I, yeah, it wasn't the greatest look to not do anything offensively until the game was already decided when you should have one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah, whatever. Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss. They're probably going to lose to Arkansas this week, too. What a letdown for those two teams. Next question. Because Georgia beat Arkansas 37 to nothing. Um, Arkansas probably overranked after their two wins over Texas and Texas A&M, but still 37 to nothing. Georgia has back-to-back shutouts over Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Um, this feels sacrilegious to say because of college football and what we've seen for the last 15 years, but I think Georgia's better than Alabama. I truly wish that it was not Arkansas against Ole Miss because I would want to bet both of these teams this week because that's how much better Georgia and Alabama are than everybody else. It's not even a competition. There's Number three in the country, which was Oregon, haha, should just be vacated this year. There is no number three. Like, I don't even know why we're going to bother with a four-team playoff. These okay. are the two best teams in the country. And yes, to go to your point, Georgia's defense is so dominant that it is the number one team in the country right now. Because Notre Dame needs to play in the playoff. That's why you have a four-team playoff. Adam, are you in favor of one year going back to the BCS and just letting Alabama and Georgia play? 
just for this year. Yeah. I mean, they're going to they're, they're going to play in the the SEC title game more than likely, but you're fine with just another game right after that for the for the national championship. You know, it'll be fun when you say right after that. Let's do it the next week. Let's not even have the whole month of buildup. Let's just get it done before the holidays. Let's okay. What about a three game series? Play the SEC title game. That's game one. Game two before Christmas, and then if there's a split, we'll have game three at the normal national championship time, which is that first weekend in January or second weekend in January, and that'll be that'll be it. A three game series. Well, it'll be like a traveling roadshow too, right? Like we'll have the <laughs> SEC championship game in Atlanta, and then we can have one game somewhere out west, like play one at the Rose Bowl, and we'll have one somewhere in Texas. I think this would be perfect. Yeah. Be better for college football. Well, a lot better than having to watch Cincinnati get run up and down the field by one of these teams. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame 24 to 13. Neither of us think Cincinnati's any chance to actually win a playoff game against a Georgia or Alabama, but do they have a shot at actually making the playoff? I don't care. <laughs> It doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, it does. Put them in. Let them get there. You know what? This year, just to satisfy all the group of five purists, let them in. Thank you. Let them in. Full Paul McCartney. Let them in. in. I'm in. All right. Coming up next, we will take a look at the Major League Baseball playoffs and how we got robbed of wild card madness. I'm pulling two on Soto, and here it comes. Breaking oh. ball. Sox have won the top wild card position. They knock off Washington. They sweep the series seven to five. The final and the celebration begins here in D.C. We were so close, so close to having a tremendous game 163 or game 164 to decide who would be in the American League wild card. We went in the last day. The Mariners and Blue Jays, if they won and we got at least one loss out of the Yankees or the Red Sox, then we would have at least one extra game to decide who would be in the AO wildcard game. But the Yankees and Red Sox both won, scoring the game-winning run in the ninth inning of their games to prevent any of that chaos from actually happening. Uh, Adam Candy is here. Adam Candy is a Yankees fan who over the past uh, month or so has come on this show as a defeated Yankees fan and kept telling me they were not going to make the playoffs. But here they are in the AL wildcard game and favored to beat the Red Sox in the AL wildcard game. Uh, so how do you feel now about the Yankees? The New York Yankees in three games this weekend against the Tampa Bay Rays, who, if they win the wildcard game, they will have to face, scored six runs. Six. They gave up 12 in one game alone. This team backed its way into the playoffs with a little hot streak here in the last week of the season. Um, Toronto is the team nobody wanted to face in the playoffs. You as an Astros fan should be thrilled the Blue Jays didn't make it. Um, this is a complete coin toss coming up in the wild card game. They're going to be a slight favorite because of Garrett Cole, but Garrett Cole has an ERA approaching five against the Red Sox this year, and they have to go against um, Nate the Great, Nathan Evaldi, former Yankee, who has owned them at a level of nobody except the Steinbrenners. So you are continuing the same consistent path you have for the last couple of months. The Yankees have no chance. They scored six runs against the team <laughs> that they would have to play 
in the playoffs over the course of three games. One of those runs yesterday scored on a line drive off the pitcher's glove. So, yeah, yeah, I don't really think they have much of a chance come the playoffs. Now, Garrett Cole might just pitch them into that division series, and then, as you know very well, the baseball playoffs are stupid, and who knows what's going to happen from there. But I know what you want because you texted me to say that the Yankees need to get rid of the Rays because you don't want your Astros to have to play. I cannot stand the race. I can't stand the So here's the thing. The Astros won four out of six from the Rays this year. They lost four out of six to the Yankees this year. Uh, and I am, as you are, not convinced that the Tampa Bay Rays are actually good at this sport, even though they continue to have the best record in the American League and they went to the World Series last year. I don't think they're actually good. I, it's not It's not about I want to play the Yankees because I think the Astros have a better chance necessarily. It's because I can't stand losing to the Tampa Bay Rays. They just annoy me. Like, they make the just diving catch they make and it ends your inning. It's just they're an annoying team to lose to. I would rather lose to Aaron Judge hitting six home runs in a series than whatever the hell the Tampa Bay Rays are going to do. No, you're going to lose to six home runs from Randy Riceroni. Um Jeff Fogel on Twitter posted this stat, said, according to baseball reference, here are the records this year for the playoff teams against teams to finish 500 or better. Percentage-wise, the Astros were the best in the American League at 45 and 32. So they played 77 games against teams over 500. Boston played 94 such games. <laughs> the Yankees played 91, and Tampa played 90. Uh, Boston was the only one that didn't come out with a winning record, but here's the stat you should care about. The White Sox went 27 and 29. Not they played a grand total of 56 games against teams over 500 and still only won 93 games. The Astros are going to win that series running away. Yeah, I I fully expect that, even though, like you said, it's crapshoot in baseball playoffs but i i am already overlooking the white Sox. i absolutely already am and wondering who's going to win the al east side of the bracket to play in the alcs but i am absolutely overlooking the white Sox. i don't think they're good like of of all the teams that were in the hunt on the final day if i got to pick who the astros would play the mariners still would have been number one and then the white Sox would have been the second team i would have liked to play over the red Sox, over the yankees over the blue jays over the Rays. Who will you get the most satisfaction out of potentially beating? Because this is the way that you exist. Is All the, the Yankees. fuel for your body. All the Yankees. There's no, there's, there's zero doubt about it. Beating the Yankees in the ALCS would be the funniest thing. Well, beating the Dodgers in the World Series would be the funniest thing. Beating the Yankees in the ALCS would be the second funniest thing. What if I were never coming on this show again? I'm okay with that. I have your phone number. No, no, not that. <laughs> I, no, I, no, no, no. I understand the trolling will continue. <laughs> I'm saying if you didn't have the opportunity to screw with me, would you still want to beat the Yankees more than the Rays? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is just general me feeling good about making the Yankees sad and the Dodgers sad. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Even if you and Ed did not exist, it would still be yes. I wanted it last year. Like, if if the Yankees could have handled the Rays in the ALDS last year, I would have gotten the shot to enjoy it last season, but it didn't work out very well for either so one So for of anybody us. who has MLB TV, and that's how they watch the games, um, can you imagine – Considering we already get like the same six highlights looped over and over and over again, <laughs> along with Doug and Limu Emu and the Peloton plant dads, who I can deal without <laughs> any of them for the rest of my life. Um, can you imagine if the Rays and the Astros face off again and Randy Riceroni hits <sighs> another 17 home runs and seals 17 bases? That's going to be the only thing we watch for an entire year next year. Rosa Arena. Oh, my God. Do you see what he did this weekend? 
with his team having clinched long before they got to New York, he stole two bases <laughs> in a meaningless game in the same inning. When they when in a completely meaningless game, he stole second and third, and then like winked at the dugout. I don't want to play him. I I, I don't think they're good, and I still don't want to play him. I don't name a Rays starting pitcher. Uh, McClanahan. Name two. That's a good question. They use. <laughs> right. I thought they had they, openers, they not did. starters. They used the last game they played us. They used Colin McHugh as an opener, and then oh, that was just to troll the Astros. Yeah, it was. And then I think they went to Yarbrough as their bulk guy for that game. Does that count as a starter if he's the bulk guy? I guess. And okay. and now there's Baz Luhrmann or whoever his name is, <sighs> uh, who's starting for. The, I don't know. Tyler Glass now is hurt. They traded uh, Rich Hill, who was their only actual starting pitcher. Like nobody knows who actually <laughs> like I, I saw the I, I wish I could credit the person who said this uh, on Twitter. It said the Rays have 17 guys coming out of this bullpen who all sound like off brand LaCroix. <laughs> I'm going to be so mad when I lose to G-Man Choi in the ALCS. G-Man, the Chris <laughs> Berman special. G-Man Choi is going to he's going to crush the Astros because we have no lefties besides from Bravaldo. No, Well, and you know why you're going to get the opportunity to play G-Man Choi because for whatever reason, Garrett Cole cannot retire G-Man Choi. <laughs> it is impossible. All right. How about the, how about the other side of this? Let's, let's have some fun uh, with Ed Graney not here. How hilarious is it that the 106-win Dodgers <laughs> have to play the hottest team in baseball to try to get into the playoffs? I mean, it's a absolute failure of a postseason format, but it is funny. It is absolutely one of the funniest things that we could have, that they are playing. The, the only way it could have been funnier is it was the Padres instead of the Cardinals just for Ed Graney's sanity, but it is absolutely hilarious that the Gi- or that the Dodgers could be home after one game despite having the second best record in all of baseball. Against a 40-year-old starting <laughs> pitcher, and I think Yadier Molina just got his AARP card. Like, the, the, the Cardinals are a team that has no business being where they are right now. As of August 3rd, they had a 2% chance to make the playoffs, period. And here are the Cardinals poised to knock out the Dodgers. So I believe the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, and I believe the Astros are the best team in the American League, uh, and I also fully believe we're getting Brewers Rays in the World Series. The Brewers were going to get to the World Series until Devin Williams <laughs> punched a wall when he, quote, got mad about something during the Brewers' celebration for winning the division. How is that possible? What could get you so mad during a celebration? We couldn't figure it out. Yeah, we don't know. We have no idea. We're, no clue. Punching things out of anger despite clenching. I don't know. I don't know. By what the, to when do with it. when will this has been going on for many years? I remember Kevin Brown doing this in the mid two thousands with the Yankees. You're using your pitching hand. <laughs> like I don't know what? what the equivalent for us would be. Like leading with our throats in some way. <laughs> like I got so mad that I drank acid. Well, yeah. Well, then you got what you deserved. Coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Elaine Vigneault has uh, had a press conference this morning. He was asked about... Robin Leonard saying that Elaine Vigneault needs to be fired. Uh, according to Sam Cardici, uh, Leonard was, quote, completely false in his accusations. 
Pena said he doesn't push pills, as Leonard implied. Uh, hello, Ryan. So what do you make of Robin Leonard? Uh, I don't even know which one to start with. Jack Eichel situation, the uh, Ambien pills, or calling for Elaine Vigneault to be fired. I guess I'll let you pick one. Which one do you want to talk about? So I'll start um, and really kind of focus my attention on the Jack Eichel situation um, because I think that this is something that's really, really important for other players in the league to kind of rally behind. Uh, when it comes to Jack Eichel and the stalemate between the Buffalo Sabres and whether or not Jack can have the type of surgery on his neck that he would like to have, uh, the kind of surgery that, you know, as he ages, hopefully he won't require more surgeries to continue to fix. I think it's important to understand that right now all medical decisions and all treatment decisions uh, made for a player are made by team physicians. However, I think there is a difference between uh, you know, a, a knee injury or an ankle injury and a neck injury where you require surgery on your neck and you have to deter- make a determination on what your quality of life is going to be after you have said surgery. So to a degree, I think that players should have ultimate say or final say on, on the treatment and the surgeries that they are having. I understand that that's an oversimplified view of it, but that's where I stand on it. And I think Robin Leonard proving how blown up his ankle was while he was with the Buffalo Sabres organization is uh, an interesting point of evidence in this situation to say maybe the Buffalo Sabres don't always have the best interest or aren't operating under the best interest of their players because they're focused on getting the asset, the player, back on the ice as quick as possible. Do you, Ryan, have any concern for the hockey-focused level of Robin Leonard while we go through this entire situation? Because I think the knee-jerk reaction from fans is going to be, why are we doing this right now when the season's just about to start? Um, I I mean, I think that that's a valid question. Uh, I mean, I don't know, right? Like, I got to complex. And his first preseason game, I I would argue, wasn't the greatest preseason game for Robin Leonard. He didn't look particularly comfortable, but... You know, you're talking about a guy that got into shape over the summer and is kind of learning how to play with the new body. He's also breaking the new pads. Nobody really looked good in Salt Lake City. I think we can all be honest with ourselves there. So um, it's hard to kind of read into that. I think with Robin, like, whatever you can find to motivate you is, is kind of where he's been the last couple of years. I don't know that you know, his tweets over the last 24 hours are, are motivation or anything like that. But I do think that there's a certain level of Robin needing to kind of live his own life and be his own man. And part of that is standing up for what he believes are truth. And if that's the case and, and that's what you're getting out of Robin, I don't worry too much about uh, whether or not the focus level is going to be there. He's an elite athlete. He wants to win. He knows what it takes here in Vegas because if you don't win, as, as you heard from Riley Smith late, earlier in the or later in the week last week, uh, every year is a contract year here in Vegas. So for Robin Leonard, he's going to have to be focused and ready to go come opening season. On the uh, the unprescribed pills, whether it was uh, Ambien or like Xanax type pills, what, is Robin Leonard's end game here to get that to stop across the league? Because I'll say, like when he comes out with these accusations. It didn't. It wasn't something that was like unbelievable. Like it, he says it, and it's like, yeah, that sounds like something I believe NHL teams would do. That they would have unprescribed yeah. Ambien or whatever, 
and they would give that to players and maybe not even tell the players. Like it wasn't an unbelievable story. And it almost got to, in my mind, a point where, okay, I'm sure lots of players know about this or lots of players have had it happen to them specifically and nobody else has actually said anything. So I guess like in game for Robin Leonard here, does he, is he able to like get that practice to stop if it is a league wide issue? I mean, I, I, I would hope that he's shedding light on it. Right. I would hope that, you know, the NHL is going to take a look at this or they're going to interview Robin and, and there's going to be some type of an investigation because the fact of the matter is, um, Anything prescription-wise, especially if you're going to take such a hard stance on team physicians, know what's right for the player in determining what surgery they have, if you're going to make that line in the sand, then anything that a player takes has to be prescribed by a medical physician. It just it should. And, I mean, yeah, I'm, like, I'm with you, Tyler. Like, it's not unbelievable. When I, when I read Robin's tweets, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I would imagine most teams are doing that. But... I don't think that that's something teams should be doing. So I think the end game is to bring some light to it, hopefully have an investigation in it, so that we can better protect these players from, from you know, taking these things that they don't really know is, is what it is. Like, that's a problem. In a way, it's been interesting that this is probably the most prominent story that's come out of the Vegas Golden Knights preseason because – it's probably a good thing for the Golden Knights that we haven't had much else uh, to talk about. But has anything else uh, jumped out at you thus far about what we've seen out of the early part of preseason for VGK? Uh, I, I think the, the thing that's kind of jumped out at me the most is just how how much I remember preseason hockey from two years ago and how much it's really kind of living up to its billing of, of being preseason hockey right now. Um, it's been hard to, to get Peyton Krebs. Like, Peyton Krebs has kind of been the guy, right, that everyone's zeroed in on here in camp. And while he's been okay in his game, he hasn't really popped the way that you like him to. Um, you're not really seeing a lot of guys pop in that way either. And I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of how the game is played through preseason. The Golden Knights, they're veteran players. They're trying to get the rust off. They're trying to just get a little bit of timing back. But I mean, this isn't a regular season game. This doesn't count in the standings, and it's hard to really get your motors going uh, when when it's just not the case, when it's just not regular season hockey. So it's been harder, I think, for some of the young guys that are trying to push for a spot to establish themselves. And I think that's been the biggest, for me, the biggest takeaway is that I think the players that are looking to win jobs haven't really done enough yet to do so. If I tell you whether through injury or just uh, poor play, there's an opening spot in the top six. Which player not in the top six right now do you think it would be the best bet to take one of those spots? Evgeny Dodanov. I like if if we're operating under the assumption that it's going to be the regular top six, and there's an injury or there's poor play. I think Dodanov is the first guy that moves up. Uh, beyond that, then you, then you could probably pencil in maybe a Peyton Krebs or, or, or you know a Nolan Patrick. I think depending on the position, but I think Patrick's going to play center. So I think you need um, there to be a problem with Chandler Stevenson or William Carlson for Patrick to move up on the wing. I think it's going to be Bedanov. So as we get ready and get closer to the beginning of. The regular season here, Ryan, what's left for you to answer, right? Because to me, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot left for this team that, you know, for once in an offseason, it's heavy lifting was more about subtraction than addition. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think right now what, what's left to answer is simply is Peyton Krebs going to be able to do enough in, in potentially one more game to, to win a job? And if he wins the job, it's likely going to be on that third line left wing. So it would be Krebs with Patrick and Dodonov. And then your fourth line then becomes a question of is Will Carrier going to beat out Matthias Janmark or Brett Howden? I think maybe probably Brett Howden. I don't know about Matthias Janmark, but you know, then you've got to factor in Nick Waugh. So I think really the only major question that's still left on the table is can Peyton Krebs win a job? If the answer is no, I think it's going to be pretty much status quo for the Golden Knights going into the uh, season opening. What are your odds right now that Peyton Krebs can win a job? Uh, there, uh, I, I would say that Peyton Krebs has about a 25% chance of being on the opening night roster. I'll give you a minor question. Who's the eighth defenseman on this team Probably guy that starts in the AHL, <laughs> but who's the eighth defenseman on this team? Boy. Oh, okay. Um, so obviously you're fishing for something, but I'm not. He's going hurt. There. He's hurt. He can't uh, be the answer. He's hurt. You can't say yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least you're self-aware. Um, yeah, I I would say that you know from a flash standpoint, and, and okay, let me preface this by it depends on what you need. If you need a right hand shot versus a left hand shot if you need more of an offensive defenseman or a stay-at-home guy, I think that kind of informs your decision here for the Golden Knights. If you need an offensive defenseman who happens to be a right shot and can score electrifying goals, then it's probably Daniil Miramanov. If you need a stay-at-home type defenseman, somebody that's going to make the right play in his own zone, it's probably a Zach Hayes. That's likely kind of the direction I think the Golden Knights are going to go, and if they need help on the back end, I think the situation and the player and the skill set is going to inform who they bring up as opposed to really how that player is playing at the time. Because I think what we've seen so far in camp is that the young defensemen for the Golden Knights are progressing well, and they're going to be very good. Well, he is Ryan Wallace. Uh, Check out the VGK Insider Show from 4 to 6 p.m. over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Uh, Good luck, Ryan. I hope you're not in a contract year this year, too, like Riley Smith. Every year is a contract year for me, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Later, guys. So there's Ryan Wallace on the Golden Knights seasons almost here. Coming up next, hey, Urban Meyer finally talked about getting danced on at a bar. And we got tickets to give away. Thanks for that reminder, Jared. I almost forgot. I almost did it. I told you I was going to forget before we did that as well. All right, here we go. We have two tickets for Saturday's Shriners Children's Open. The PGA Tour Golf is at TPC Summerlin. Many of the world's top golfers will compete to earn FedEx Cup points. And we've got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 to go out to the PGA Tour at Shriners Children's Open on Saturday. 702-364-1100. We will take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. Are stats hogwash? Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. At quarterback brings Garrett Griffin in motion. Taysom Power runs it to the right side. He's got an open hole, and Taysom Hill will score his second touchdown as he waltzes into the end zone with his arms in the air to the Saints crowd. Snap, Power right. Taysom keeps it up around the five-yard line, inside the five-yard line, breaks the tackle, still on his feet. Taysom Hill, that's going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill, all by yourself. Jared, you're going to have to do the show by yourself if you keep playing Taysom Hill highlights. 
Unbelievable. Ed's not here to torture. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, Urban Meyer is here to torture. So Urban Meyer uh, gave a press conference this morning. Uh, Michael DeRocco, who covers the Jags for ESPN's NFL Nation, tweeted out, Jaguars coach Urban Meyer said he apologized to his team for being a distraction, said he was at an event and people tried to get him on the dance floor and he should have left, said he never should have put himself in that situation. If you are unaware, there was a video uh, over the weekend of Urban Meyer at a bar restaurant uh, and a woman who was not his wife uh, grinding on Urban Meyer while he was sitting in a chair. There was also a picture that said, uh, does anybody know who this guy is? Because he won't stop flirting with me. Uh, so Urban Meyer had an eventful weekend after losing Thursday night football. This is really uh, very disappointing, Tyler. <laughs> I expected so much more from the high moral standards of Urban Meyer from what we've seen from all of his previous stops. Um, by the way, did you say tortured? Because that's not at all what it looks like what was happening. Who's being tortured? You said yeah, the, the, the torturer. Anyway, um, <laughs> can't we just give her Meyer a break realistically? <laughs> Does he deserve one? I mean, who hasn't had this happen? <laughs> right? I, I'm Jared's getting to my point. Like you know, you, you show up to you show up to a bar. You think it's you think it's a sports bar. It turns out it's a dance party. Um, you don't want to dance. So you sit down in the chair, and then all of a sudden the dance party comes to you. Like, what was he supposed to do? Just get up and leave? Like, that'd be rude, wouldn't it? Um, hold on, I I have a question. Can okay. can this? Can you confirm this? I I know you can't, but I'm trying to quickly read. Uh, is it true that he was at a restaurant he owns? I don't know if it was one that he owns. Um, I do know that he stayed behind, obviously, in Ohio, where he is quite well known, uh, apparently, to everyone except that woman. Um, <laughs> so there, there is Urban Meyer's Pint House. And hold, I'm trying to quickly read the story from Jacksonville.com, which mentions Urban Meyer's Pint House. And I can't quite figure out if they're insinuating it happened at Urban Meyer's Pint House or not, because I think it makes the story better if he was at his own restaurant doing this and he got confused like wait why is everyone dancing so the most impressive part of this whole thing is that when urban meyer first came out of what tv retirement to come back and do this again i think we talked about how it had very little chance of succeeding how he's a college football head coach going to the nfl at a time when that is not really the way of the nfl and he has managed to go even below my expectations that's the fun part about all of this. Whether personally or professionally, <laughs> Urban Meyer has been a complete and total train wreck from day one. Whether it was Tebow, whether it was bringing on a chief of staff, whether it was the strength coach he had to get rid of, all the way up to getting a lap dance from a woman who appeared to be, I'm going to guess, 30 years younger than him, who is clearly not his wife. All right. Can I give you a fun theory here? Urban Meyer knowing that the USC job is open, is now actively trying to get fired. Yeah, I, I've seen this one put out there before, and um, I don't know, man. I feel like you I feel like you get a lot more bang for your buck um, than, than what Urban Meyer put out there, right? <laughs> like, if you're going to have a, a disparaging video about yourself put out there, do you think it would be you sort of disinterestedly staring off into the distance as 
a woman ground somewhere on your lower thigh. But, I, I think he can do better. But he doesn't want to actually embarrass himself. Like he was trying to find something that's like, what makes me look cool and could get me fired? Yeah, I don't know with going with the Larry Eustachy training video is what gets you fired. <laughs> I think I think you're gonna have to embarrass Shad Khan a whole lot more than that a to Larry get the Jaguars Eustachy to get rid reference. of you. Oh, I'm so glad we have a Larry Eustachy reference. I yeah, I'm, the only thing that was missing was the denim shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Larry Eustachy. <laughs> the best, Seriously, I man. Think... I, 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 how realistically though, USC job or no USC job? Do you think Urban Meyer? gets out of year one as the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Because to me, what this really comes down to, if we're going to get away from the jokey stuff for just a second, um, you cannot waste a single moment of Trevor Lawrence's development because you had the number one pick, you lucked into it when the Jets should have had it, and now you have a guy who was universally thought to be a generational quarterback who has played like hot garbage for the most part through four weeks of his first season of the NFL. You only get five seasons on that rookie contract to try to build around him. And there is literally nothing about Urban Meyer that suggests thus far that he should be the one to lead the development of Trevor Lawrence. Hold on. Are you asking, is Urban Meyer going to leave or are the Jags going to decide, no, no, we don't want Urban Meyer leading this? Oh, there's no way he's leaving of his own accord. He's going to get fired and take money with him. But I'm saying, how long are the Jaguars going to keep this charade up? Probably longer than anybody thinks they should. I assume he's going to be back next year. Okay, so how long? What's going to last longer? Matt Nagy doing what he did today, and once again saying <laughs> that Andy Dalton is still the QB one of the Chicago Bears when healthy, or the Jaguars keeping Urban Meyer. Around. If, if anyone is actively trying to get fired, it's Matt Nagy and how he's handling his quarterbacks. Like if Justin Fields throws for like 450 yards and four touchdowns, he still would be out here saying Andy Dalton's my number one. Can't do without Andy Dalton. Like how do you think he's worried about losing, losing the uh, the relationship with Andy Dalton? Do you think he really wants to hang out with the Red Rifle once the, the career is <laughs> over? Because I can't come up with another good reason for crushing the spirit of the Chicago Bears fan base the way that he did today. It's incredible. It's unbelievable that he continues to put Andy Dalton as number one. This isn't like a situation where. Even like Patrick Mahomes was behind Alex Smith. It's not even Alex Smith. It's not Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. It's Andy Dalton of all people. Like the Cowboys look like they might have the best offense in the NFL and Andy Dalton couldn't get him to like 17 points a game last year. It's unbelievable. Like Matt Nagy, they might as well fire him now and just have somebody in there that'll help Justin Fields actually do well.